You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. Pray as we head into hearing from God's Word. Father, thank you that we can gather together in your name to hear your word. Would you be present with us, your Holy Spirit working in us so that we may receive the gifts, blessing, life, conviction, challenge that you may have for us. Maybe today we need to be convicted or challenged. Whatever it is, Lord, what if it's from you, we want to receive it and hear it. Thank you for being with us, being present in and among us. And we give you praise and thanks, saying these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we've been doing, uh, this is the last week of a three-week series called Table Talk, where we're learning about the three weeks of our mission. What, are, what do we put on this planet to do as a, as a group of people, a community? We have done, uh, hey, if you have any questions, feel free to send it. I got my stuff open. We're asking the question, what makes the table the table? And the first two weeks, we did some stuff. Where do we fit in the history of the church global and the church historic? Where do we fit within that? Big C church. We talked about our mission, vision, values last week. Today I'm going to talk about the three tables that I would love for you to orient your life around. Just another refresher. This is that big C slide. Here's where we fit within the big church. We want to be people of truth, love, and service. We want to be people that fit within the broader Christian stream. We want to belong to our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world, right? We belong to a couple tribes uh, that have wonderful stories about love and service to their neighbors, and we want to own that part of our story. We talked about mission, vision, values. What is the mission? What, what, what are we doing? What do we hope to see accomplished when we do it? And how do we do it? That's mission, vision, values. And so we talked about things like we want to love God, want to love one another, and serve our city. That's our mission. We talked about our six values. If you ever want them, I can send them to you. I handed out sheets about that last week. And then when all of that's done, we hope to see us as a family of Jesus impacting the families around us in the neighborhood, redeemed, restored, and thriving. So what are we doing this week? I'm going to try to convince you to orient your life around three tables. When I'm not using table language, I call it our triple S model. It's nothing fancy. It's nothing we invented, but it's helpful for me to think about it. This is what the table is going to do. This is going to be the emphasis that we do. Everything we do has got to fit within this model. We are going to do Sunday morning together. We are going to come and worship the Lord together, seek truth, pour out our praise. That's what we're going to do. We are going to focus on small groups. We are going to try to come together, share our stories, and try to learn some more in a communal setting, dialoguing, sharing, talking, and we are going to do service. Those are the three things that we're going to try to do well. We're going to work on those things. There's a lot of things churches can do. There's a lot of things nonprofits can do. There's a lot of things Christians can do as part of their call for Jesus. But we feel put in this neighborhood and on this earth to focus on these three things. The worship of God, the loving of one another, the serving of our neighbors. So these three tables, that's what I want to talk about today. I think about those three S's in the realm of tables. 
I do head, heart, hands, but sometimes I change it up in that I just call them different things. So sometimes it's up and out, right? I have another one called catechesis, character, uh, other stuff. I can't think of right now. (laughs) I've had no coffee today, y'all. I forgot to drink some. So today we're doing head, heart, hands, but I'm going to focus it on up and out for us. So what are the three tables? What is the first one? What's the up? What's the up that I want you to focus on? What's the up? The Lord's table. That's the first table I want you to orient your life around. The Lord's table. That's the first table that I want you to orient your life around. The Lord's table. A couple scripture for us. Luke 22, Jesus is having the Last Supper for the first time. After taking the bread and giving thanks, Jesus broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the midst of the act, the day before Jesus would go to the cross, he asked the church to continue this in perpetual memory of his death and resurrection. This is what Jesus has asked us to do. He didn't say, as part of your gathering together, have some guy get up and talk for 40 minutes. That wasn't there. It's that. The early church centered everything around the Lord's table, and then in about the 1500s, more and more people started talking longer and longer, and that's how you got to me. But that was what we oriented our life, our service, our worship around, was the, the, the meal of the Lord, the Last Supper, the Eucharist, communion, whatever your tradition had called it. That's what I want you to order and orient your life around first. More scripture for us. Paul, I'm talking to you like you are sensible people. Man, I love it. He's already mad. I I don't have to talk to you like you're sensible people, but I'm gonna for right now. Think about what I'm saying. Isn't the cup of blessing that we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? And isn't the loaf of the bread that we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one loaf of bread, we who are many are one body because we all share in the one loaf. Orient your life around this. This is the thing that symbolizes the thing that we're trying to do. The loaf, the one loaf represents the one body that we're trying to become. One more scripture for us. Pentecost just happened. The Holy Spirit has just poured out on all the believers of Jesus. The church, this is the church's birthday, and Luke gives us a summary of what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching scripture. That's for us. That's truth. They devoted themselves to scripture, the apostles' teaching, to the community, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. We have made this very complicated Hey, let's stick to scripture. Let's stick to community. Let's stick to the meal and prayer. That's what they did. That's the summary of what the church was doing on the church's birthday, as close as possible to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The meal becomes wildly important for the community because we believe that Jesus literally meets us there that the real presence of Christ is present in the community. We, Christians differ about how they understand that, and I don't need to get into the mystery of it, but Jesus promises us to meet us at the table. So I'm, I'm hoping that we as a community and you as believers, first and foremost, will orient your life around the table. St. Aquinas, one of the brilliantest Christians there has been, 
He says, the bread and the cup is the sacrament of love. It symbolizes and signifies love. It also produces love. Something happens at the table that is good for us. That's not Aquinas. That's St. Cyprian. I can tell by the icon. I, I forgot to change it. St. Cyprian, a different church father. You, Matt knew too. He was going to call me out. St. Cyprian in the 200 was a bishop of a church. And he says, this supernatural bread and this consecrated chalice are for the health and salvation of humanity. They really thought what we are doing now should be centered and oriented around the table. It was. It was a meal. Church service in the beginning was a meal, and we added some scripture to it. We added some prayers to it. But the center of our time together was the Lord's table. Apollo 11, 1969. We landed on the moon. Some people, some smart people think we did. Some other people trying to tell me we didn't. I don't know. Listen, I see it. I see it. I saw them land there. Uh, They landed on the moon. Buzz Aldrin, Neil Armstrong, and some other guy that everybody forgot. But he was there. What was his name? Mike? Terry? What was his name? Oh, you're good. I knew. If anybody would have known, it was you, Terry. They landed on the moon, and we know the scene. The, we, know the, we know the words, right? They put down the ladder, and they climb down, and they say this is one small step for man, one giant leap for? Yeah. Right before that famous scene, right before it, they land, they're sitting there, and they come on the radio. Buzz Aldrin writes all about this. I'm just reading an article that he wrote. Buzz, he's sitting there, and he says this. With only seconds worth of fuel left, we touched down at 3.30 p.m. Now, Neil and I were sitting inside the Eagle. Neil would soon give the signal to step down the ladder and, and on the powdery surface of the moon. I called back to Houston. Houston, this is the Eagle. This is the LM pilot speaking. I would like to request a few moments of silence. I would like to invite each person listening in, wherever and whoever they may be, to contemplate for a moment the events of the past few hours and to give thanks in his or own, her own individual way. For me, for Buzz, this meant taking communion. In the radio blackout, I opened the little plastic packages which contained the bread and the wine. I poured the wine into the chalice on, uh, and uh, our church had given me. In the one-sixth gravity of the moon, the wine curled up slowly and gracefully up the side of the cup. It was interesting to think that the very first liquid ever poured on the moon and the very first food ever eaten were communion elements. And so just before I partook of the elements, I read the words which I had chosen to indicate our trust that as man probes into space, we are in fact acting in Christ I sensed especially strongly my unity with our church back home. They were having a communion service at the same time. And with the church everywhere, I read, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will be bear much fruit, for you can do nothing without me, John 15. And he said, all of this communion and the scripture in the darkness of this spacecraft sitting on the moon for the very first time symbolized the thought that God was revealing himself there too as man reached out into the universe. The first act on the moon was to take a moment of thanks to God expressed through communion. This, they get how central the meal is 
to our faith. They did it right there on the moon. And that's what we gather here to do. We gather for a meal to hear God's word, to pray and sing with one another. But ultimately, it's centered around that experience with Jesus. Somebody texted me. The other, the other pilot was named Michael Collins. I told you his name was Mike. Yes. Thank you for texting me. Michael Collins, everybody. Michael Collins. So for us, centering and orienting, orienting our lives around the Lord's table looks like Sunday morning gathering together, coming to intentionally commune with God and with one another. This is why we call it communion. We believe that there is community happening in the midst of that divinely and anthropologically, right, with one another in, in uh, our church. What's the second table? What's the in table that I want you to orient your life around? As someone on mission through and in the table church, Lord's table, number one. Number two, kitchen table. I want you to orient your life around your kitchen table. Now you know why. It's all food-based. Listen, guys, it's, this is what you get here. A bunch of scripture for you just to let you know that this is what the early church was doing. Say hello to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea along with Nympha and the church that meets in her house. Colossians 4. Say hello to Philemon, or yeah, our dearly loved co-worker, and the church that meets in your house. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord together with the church that meets in their house. Say hello, Romans 16, to the church that meets in their house. The church was gathering for a meal. It was around somebody's kitchen table. That's how they did church. We have it over and over again in Scripture. People that had big enough kitchens would say, come do church at our house. And that's how the church exploded to become this worldwide movement that it is. It started around kitchen tables. I think your kitchen table has the power to be powerful for Jesus. That it can become an altar, a sanctuary, a space where God does incredible work. So I want you to orient your life around kitchen table. President, I just love this picture of President Ronald Reagan eating Kentucky Fried Chicken with Richard Petty, the NASCAR driver. My man is drinking a Pepsi because he knows that it is actually better than Coke. So I don't. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You came here to hear some truth. I'm just speaking it. You know what I mean? And he had this great line that I agree with him on, which is that all great change in America, the worldwide begins at the dinner table. And he meant that as some kind of social, civic, like family engagement policy. And I'm, we're taking that way beyond. I mean, this is a supernatural situation that we're talking about. The church spreads across the globe based on people, people's kitchen tables. I want you to use your kitchen table as a tool for Jesus. If the home, uh, this is Shauna Nequist. She wrote a book called Bread and Wine. She says, if the home is the body, the table is the heart. It's the beating center, the sustainer of life and health. Yes. Yes. I think you know this. Like I could go into, I was thinking of all the stories that I can think of of how powerful kitchen tables are. This is where I've got good news. This is where I've got bad news. This is where I've got horrible news. This is where I'm 
bonding with my children, where I ask them every day, what did you learn at school? And they're like, I don't know, Dad. Just leave me alone. What was your favorite part of school? When it was over. And I was like, okay. But I'm bonding with my children there every day, right? This is the place. It's the table that draws us together. But I just wanted you, this is one of my favorite scenes from one of my favorite shows called Gilmore Girls. They have this whole, they go to Friday night dinners every night together. Uh, They fight, they love, they laugh. I just wanted to give you a small picture of it. Uh, It's just a short video. Here's some some dinner table antics. Hey, this is not going to happen. Now we all agreed to have Friday night dinner, and we're here, and I smell dinner. And yes, apparently there are some issues to be worked out, but no one, I mean no one, is leaving here until we do. Things were out of control. Not the point, simply. Not the... It is completely... Rory, do not cut your grandmother off. Well, I'm just saying... You come running to us, begging us to take you in because you can't possibly deal with your mother. And then when you decide you don't like how things are going, you leave. With no notice, by the way. And you leave two strange boys in our house unsupervised. We're missing two picture frames, by the way. Colin and Finn did not steal your picture. Do not raise your voice to your grandmother. This is really good sorbet. I know, isn't it? Teresa made it herself. Hmm. Mango? Passion fruit. Delicious. It certainly is. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so I lead her over to the good table, smiling like we are the best friends in the world. Right, that's where it happens. The dinner table. We're fighting, we're laughing. I should have should have warned you if you had any family trauma that, that first scene is arguing, but it's there. That's what's going on at the kitchen table. It's where I proposed to my wife was at a dinner table, right? This is this is where life happens. This is where love happens. This is where we get good news, bad news. This is it. And so I would love for you to orient your life around your kitchen table in such a way that you can see it as a powerful tool for Jesus to see life transformation in the world. We got buildings here. You, I mean, use the space. I'm so glad to have this space. But man, I, this is why I focus on small groups so much is that I just really do think that that is the place where real life is going to happen real conversations where the Holy Spirit can penetrate deep down because we're getting broken open around something so vulnerable as eating and sitting and talking in homes together. Orient your life. A second table is the kitchen table. Your kitchen table or your couch. It doesn't have to be the table. Listen, or your patio. I don't care. Your house that we use as a tool for comfort and safety. I want you, you're safe and comfortable in Jesus. So break open that house and use it for Jesus because it has an incredible ability to facilitate life. For us, asking us to orient our life around kitchen table means small groups, means discipleship, means being hospitable. These are things we want to practice with one another in this community. So we got Lord's Table, Eucharist, Communion, Last Supper, whatever you call it. We got kitchen table, we got worship, we got small groups. Remember my triple S, if you remember. What's the out? What's that last table I want you to orient your life around? Anybody know? Service, yes. What's the table? Table Mountain. Yeah. Yes. Or your table saw. Somebody, I said Table Mountain in a board meeting, and they were like, what about table saws? And I'm like, it works. It's the same. Get it rolling. I don't care. But we are a purpose in this neighborhood, is what I mean. This is the other table that I want us to orient our life around. You are not living where you're living on accident. God has placed you here to love it, to serve it, to bless it. 
this is your neighborhood. Take ownership of it. We're the ones we're waiting for. In Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it's us. We're the ones who live here. No one's coming to fix it. I want you to orient your life around the table in a way that is serving, helpful, loving. My passage for you from Jeremiah 29. We know Jeremiah 29, 11 is a very famous verse where God says, I know the plans that I have for you, a hope, a future, peace to prosper you. A couple verses later, he tells us how to do that. It's not just supernatural blessing. He's a Lamborghini in your front yard when you wake up one morning. It's to the hard work of serving your city. What had happened was the Israelites were unfaithful in the covenant, and God sent them into exile into a big old empire named Babylon. And so they're sitting in the middle of this place that they don't want to be far from home, a little bit like us, right? Our home is the kingdom. Our home is heaven. Here we are on earth. And God's advice to them was, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. He says, build gardens and build houses and have babies and get married. Partly because he says, you're going to be here a really long time. And they're like, dang it. But he says, pray to the Lord for the welfare of the city because your future depends on its welfare. Work towards the welfare of the city because your fate, your future is intertwined in the health of your neighborhood, your city, right? I I mean, the three points from that passage for me is that God has called us here for where I sent you. You're not here on accident. That our future is intertwined with our neighborhood's health and vitality. Seek it, pray for the welfare of your city because you're wrapped up in it. And then lastly, ultimately, the first thing he says is work for or seek the welfare of the city where I sent you. God's commanding us to be a blessing to the place where we are from that Jeremiah passage. So that two verses later when he says, I know the plans I have for you to prosper you. He's saying, I'm going to rescue you someday. But also that prosperity comes from seeking and praying and serving the city where you currently are. This is Steve Colbert back in the heyday of the Colbert Rapport. And he's giving a graduation speech. And I loved his advice. A couple minutes from Stephen Colbert. I know I just did Stephen Colbert like a couple weeks ago. That's cheating. But he's got some good advice. So uh, listen to Stephen Colbert and we'll wrap up. Because thankfully, dreams can change. If we'd all stuck with our first dream, the world would be overrun with cowboys and princesses. (laughs) So whatever your dream is right now, if you don't achieve it, you haven't failed. And you're not some loser. But just as importantly, and this is the part I may not get right and you may not listen to, if you do get your dream, you are not a winner. After I graduated from here, I moved down to Chicago to do improvisation. Now, there are very few rules to improv, but one of the things I was taught early on is that you are not the most important person in the scene. Everybody else is. And if everybody else is more important than you are, you will naturally pay attention to them and serve them. But the good news is, you're in the scene too. So hopefully, to them, you're the most important person and they will serve you. No one is leading. You're all following the follower, serving the servant. You cannot win improv. And life is an improvisation. You have no idea what's going to happen next. And like improv, you cannot win your life, even when it might look like you are winning. But if we should serve others, 
and together serve come some common goal or idea. For any one of you, what is that idea? And who are those people? In my experience, you will truly serve only what you love. Because service is love made visible. If you love friends, you will serve your friends. If you love community, you will serve your community. If you love money, you will serve your money. And if you love only yourself, you will serve only yourself. And you will have only yourself. So no winning. Instead, try to love others and serve others and hopefully find those who will love and serve you in return. Thanks, Steve. Hey, you get it. And I love that you connected it to love, that we will serve what we love. Because there's a lot of commands to be servants and people of service. But ultimately, what we talked about last week and the week before was that the greatest command is that Jesus tells us to love God with our whole self and, and love our neighbor as ourself. This act of service that we do as the table is not meant to be from a place of, of, of conviction. It's not meant to be a place of getting you kicking and screaming to do something that you don't want to do. It, we're hoping that it comes out of a natural love that we have for our community. That if we love it like God has called us to love it, if we seek its welfare, if we learn the way of Jesus, which is to love our neighbor as ourself, service would come as a natural expression of that. But we put it in as one of our triple S because we really want to make sure that we do it. That, that this service that we're doing really does come from an expression of love around, to the people around us. Not as, not as some kind of savior complex or some condescension that we think we're better. Not a, a, as some kind of, we got to fix it because we got it right and they got it wrong. Hey, we're just, God has called us to love and he's filled our hearts with love. And one of the expressions of love is tangible service to the community. To love God is to love neighbors and to love them is to serve them. 1 John 3, 8, some challenging words connecting those ideas. But if someone has material possessions and sees someone in need, refuses to help, how can the love of God be in them? It makes the point that service comes from love, but it also makes the point that no service reveals maybe a lack of love in our hearts. This is Roy Hattersley. This is my, I, I, I was wrong. I have one more story. Roy Hattersley writes for The Guardian. He's a a very outspoken atheist. He thinks faith is dumb and he thinks people who believe it are dumb. And that's why I picked that picture. He thinks he's pretty great. But he wrote an article in the midst of Hurricane Katrina that I thought was really enlightening. Uh, in the middle of Hurricane Katrina, almost 1,400 people died. It was brutal. New Orleans and the surrounding areas it was hard. And as he's watching the news coverage and he's reporting on it for this paper, he wrote this article in The Guardian about how he sees Jesus people there helping and not anyone else. So I get to read more to you. But he says, we atheists have to accept that most believers are better human beings. <laughs> Yesterday's Red Cross appeal for an extra 40,000 volunteer workers was virtually ignored. The Salvation Army has been given a special status as a provider-in-chief of American disaster relief, but its work is being augmented by all sorts of other groups. Almost all of them have a religious origin and character. 
Notable by their absence are teams from rationalist societies, free thinkers, clubs, and atheist associations. The sort of people who not only scoff at religion's intellectual absurdity, but also regard it as a positive force for evil. Christians are the people most likely to take the risks and make the sacrifice involved in helping others. The correlation is so clear that it is impossible to doubt that faith and charity go hand in hand. Believers answer the call. I love this line because he says, it should be possible to do what Christians are doing. I'm smarter than they are. I'm better than they are. It ought to be possible to live a Christian life without being a Christian, yet... Men and women who, like me, cannot accept the mysteries and the miracles do not go out with the Salvation Army. The only possible conclusion is that faith comes with a packet of moral imperatives that influence enough of them to make them morally superior to atheists like me. I don't want you to believe a single word of what he said about you being morally superior. (laughs) I just said this does not come from a place of condescension. But I think he's right about our faith compelling us to serve. And he goes into even some really great theology. He's like, they don't even believe that these works get them to heaven. It's by faith. He's like, I can't understand why they do it. But they are. They're the ones doing it. Man, I just hope this could be said of us. As the table, I want to be people of service. The world is asking us to. Service is a slam dunk for faith. Like the, the world loves it when we do the thing that Jesus asked us to do. Tangibly love our neighbors through service. And so I want to be a community that orients our life around the Lord's table, our kitchen table, and Table Mountain or the table. So questions as we wrap up. I don't have, I mostly jokes, guys. Mostly jokes here. That's my summary. Three tables that I hope, well, I know we are going to as the table, but I'm also hoping you would orient your life around. Lord's table, kitchen table, table mountain, slash table saw. Let's move into a time of heading to the Lord's table. Would you pray with me as we prepare our hearts and minds to come to the meal? Father, thank you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for these words. Thank you for your scripture that encourages us to gather around these tables, that we would be people love you with our whole self, heart, soul, mind, strength, and that that would be revealed, practiced on days like today, that we could come eat with hearts full of anticipation and expectation to meet you here, that we would receive your love and your healing and those fruit of the Spirit that you so desperately want us to have with that joy and that peace. And, And would that spread, would it not be contained here, Lord? Would it not stop here? Would we not be only Sunday morning faithful people? But this table would spread to our tables and that those would be called altars and sanctuaries of their own, that people would step into our homes and sense your Holy Spirit in our space, a place of safety and comfort and sanctuary that they can receive healing and love, that that can be, continue out from here into our places and spaces that our families would be healed, that our neighbors would be drawn. And and would all of that love be channeled into service? A hands-on faith that is helpful, that loves. We just pray that that would be a light 
to our neighbors who are living in darkness, that they would see goodness and they'd be drawn to you and their lives would be forever changed. Lord, help us. Help us to be that kind of people. And as we come to the table, would you help us to come ready and willing to receive from you what it is you have from us. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Would you help me finish this prayer table, church, by saying the Lord's Prayer, saying, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.